Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and to have this time to share and worship and in communion and in study. And we pray God's blessings upon each one here and upon our study of the morning that it will be something that is encouraging to you as it is to me. We've been studying um, for a period of time some events in the life of David. And, and uh, David, the scripture describes as a person who was after God's own heart. And so as we've gone through these studies, we've tried to identify some of those characteristics that David had that we can emulate in our life to also be a person after God's own heart. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground this morning, but we're not going to cover it in great detail. So um, if the number of chapters there looks intimidating, uh, please don't be distressed. We won't go through every verse uh, of those chapters. But, wow, I think it went the wrong way. There we go. No, I didn't. I'm trying to advance. I'm not, I'm not doing a good job of it. There we go. <clears throat> there we don't go. <laughs> well, I see it on my screen, but it's not there, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we've been studying the life of David, and... Just a quick recap, because it has been some time since we talked on this subject, that David was born, he was the youngest son of a man named Jesse, and Jesse, he was also the grandson of Boaz and Ruth that we read about in the Old Testament. And at the age of approximately 16, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. We remember the history of the nation of Israel. They were brought into the promised land through the leadership of Moses. God delivered them by a mighty hand out of Egyptian bondage. They inhabited the land of Canaan. And for approximately 400 years, they were ruled by a system of judges that God had created to govern them. And at the end of that period of time, they became um, very dissatisfied with that these judges, in fact, Samuel was the last of the great judges, and his sons were also judges, and they had become become corrupt. And the people became very anguished because of this. And they looked around at the nations around them, and they said, you know, all these other countries have a king. They don't don't have these, these judges. They have a king that rules over them, and they don't seem to have the problems that we do. Let us be like the other nations, and let us have a king. And Samuel was very distraught with this, and he went to God, and he said, what shall I do? And God said, do for them what they ask. He said, tell them all the problems they will have as a result of that, but but give them what they ask. He said, Samuel, don't feel bad, because they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, because their king indeed was God. God was their king. They weren't satisfied with that. So Samuel did as God told him. He went and talked to the elders of the people. and He said, all of these things will happen if you decide to go down this road of having a king. And the people said, we don't care. (laughs) We want a king. And so God gave them a king. And God anointed the first king was a man named Saul. And Saul was a man, we would say, after the people's own heart. He was the kind of person that if we were 
from a physical eye looking for someone to be the king, it would have been Saul because he was a head taller than everybody else. And he was handsome and he was strong and he had leadership qualities and all of those things. And to the human being, this looked like this was probably the perfect person to be king, but he was not a man after God's heart. He, he was not a man after God, and this soon revealed itself in the actions of Saul that he disobeyed God. <clears throat> in his impatience, he usurped the position of a priest on one occasion and not, did not want to wait for Samuel to get there to perform a duty before they went to war. And God told Samuel, he said, you tell, you tell Saul that because of this, his family, his bloodline will not inherit the throne. <clears throat> So this, this was a distraughting thing to Saul. But we find later that he, a second time, that he, that he blatantly disobeyed God because he gave in to pressure from the people. And God told Samuel again, go to Saul and tell him this time, you're rejected from being king. I'm going to take the throne and I'm going to give it to one of your neighbors who is more worthy, who is a person after my own heart. And we find that that person was David. But at the time, David was only 16 years old. And so God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And he said, I'm going to, I've chosen one of his sons to be the next king, to anoint his king. And so from the oldest to the least, all of the sons of Jesse were brought before Samuel. And Samuel looked at the, each one and said, surely this is him. And God said, no, that's not him. He said, you're looking at the outward person. I look at the inward person. And finally, after the sons, the seven sons of Jesse had come before Samuel and God had rejected all of them, Samuel asked Jesse, is there any more? And he said, well, my youngest son is out in the field. He's, he's a shepherd. He said, bring him here. He brought him there. It was David. He was just a lad. He was just a teenager. And God said, this is him. And so Samuel anointed him. The Scripture doesn't tell us that David was, in, was told what was going on. We just make that assumption that Samuel told David that one day you will be king because we see it in the life of David and the actions that he takes. A short time later, he is called to the house of Saul because of all of these things that have happened to Saul, his rejection by, by God, he is in a, a, uh, a state of depression. And he calls for someone to come and play the harp for him who will soothe the anxiety of his soul. And that person that they call is David. God's providence. Here's David who will be the next king who is inside the palace and, and observing what is going. What's it like to be king? David's getting a first-hand view. God's preparing him for the time that he will assume that role. The next, time, the next occasion we see about, uh, with David is that the armies of Israel are out there arrayed against the armies of the Philistines. And we know the story of Goliath coming out there and taunting them. And that no one is, everyone is afraid to go out and meet Goliath. But then there's this young upstart shepherd boy who says, who is this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of God? And he is the one who out, goes out. In the power of the Lord and faith in the Lord to know that he will deliver him and he defeats the Philistine. He defeats Goliath and the armies of the Philistines are run away and they are chased out by the armies of Israel. And David's brought to the, house, to the household of Saul. 
He's made one of his armor bearers. And again, he's given a first-hand view of the inworkings of the palace and what it's like to be king. A little while later, this, all of this happens sometime around the age of 17. We don't know exactly. That's pretty much an, an assumption. But between the ages of 17 and 23, David is there in the palace, and he's serving Saul as an armor bearer. And things go pretty well at first. Everything that he does, he does well, and he does it with wisdom, and he's valiant in battle. But all of a sudden, every, the popularity of David grows and the people start making, singing songs about the heroics of David and the heroics of Saul. But you can tell that their favorite is really David. And, and Saul's uh, his, um, heart becomes jealous. His insecurity over the things that God has told him that you're going to be rejected start to really bother him, and he begins to see David as an adversary. In fact, he comes to understand that this is the person that God was talking about. And so he begins to seek to destroy David. And in fact, there's a couple of times that he, is, he, he literally tries to run David through with the spears they're sitting there at the, t- at, at the table. And finally, David figures out that there is no way I can stay here. There's a couple of other things that happen in between there. We've noted them on the board that after a period of time, he's promised the hand of, of uh, Saul's oldest daughter in marriage, and then Saul retracts that, but eventually he gives him the hand of a, his younger daughter, and he, and he is married to her. So this period of approximately some six years, David is there in the palace, but the circumstances come to the point that he can no longer stay. And so David has to flee Because it is Saul's intention completely to destroy him. Well, I'm sorry. I am not doing well with the computer this morning. So we read the, and and we I thank Aaron for reading the uh, Psalm. 118 this morning and and you know as we go through that psalm it is one of great you can see you can almost hear David shouting those words that God is good and his mercy endures forever and let the house of Aaron say that God's his mercy endures forever and he it's it's you can put he put this is put to music and it's put it's great rejoicing in in the words there and in the faithfulness of God but underneath those words there's a lot of pain there's a lot of pain there, as, as David describes, that he's, he, was, he was surrounded by his enemies, but he knew that God, through God he would destroy them. <clears throat> that God had severely disciplined him. He had gone through some great dis- times of discipline and anguish and heartache, but through all of that, that God was faithful and that he had brought him through that and he had set him, the Scripture says, in a broad place. And we take that to be that at this point in time, he is king. He has reached that point that God has promised him as he, as he writes this psalm and as he rejoices in all the things that God has brought him through. But you know, there were periods of time that he was not ready to sing a psalm. That there were times that it was very difficult for him and he was in a very dark place. <clears throat> but what we see is that God brought him through that. God him brought him through those difficult times 
to the point that God had promised him that he would deliver. You know, and we as Christians all go, also go through very difficult times. We go through trials. If we're alive, <laughs> we're going through some kind of a trial. Sometimes they're small trials. Sometimes they're big trials. But we're going through them constantly. And what we see here and David is telling us that it is God is faithful to bring us through those things. God will deliver on the things that he has promised. Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. <clears throat> we finished the last study on David when he was at a, a very low point. He was, we read here, he had gone from the place of great success to being a fugitive. He had lost every Every place in the world that he might have turned for security. He lost his military post and position. His home and his possessions. His wife, his mentor, Samuel. His best friend, Jonathan. Even his dignity as we find that he had to play the madman in front of Achish. The king, the Philistine captain or king. To escape even him. And he finally he ran to this, this, this cave. And he's in the cave and he wrote, <clears throat> he wrote this 57th Psalm that says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. <clears throat> he was to a point that he had nothing left but God, but he knew that that's where his true security was. And he showed that, that faith and that belief in the writing of this psalm. But we find then quickly after that, well, before we get to that, that his struggles were far from over. <clears throat> he, has, he had to flee the castle. He had to give up all of those things. But he's beginning a very difficult time in his life when he is constantly pursued by Saul. In fact, if David is approximately 23 years old at the time that he flees to the cave, it will be another seven years before he is finally free from the constant pursuit, from constantly fleeing for his life and hiding and being a fugitive and all of those things <clears throat> before that finally passes. <clears throat> Shortly after he's there in the cave, we read 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. It says that David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And so there were a lot of people who we might say were somewhat of outcasts in society, who when they heard that David was here, they fled to him. They, they kind of created their own little society, their own little family, their own uh, little village there with David. And it says that there were 400 men that were there with David. Eventually, these, we might know these as David's mighty men, that they were a part of those mighty men whom rode with David during this period of time. Among those, there was a prophet of God named Gad. And he was, he's very important to David because this is a prophet of God who advises him and who goes to God on his behalf to 
and, and prophesies of the things that David should do. So it's a, great, a very great confident, confidant to David is Gad. And also we read that at a point in time before this that David had gone to the priests at Nob and that they had helped David along his way. And, and because of that, Saul had destroyed them. He had, he had murdered all of these priests save one. One had escaped. He would have been the next in line to be the high priest of Israel. He also fled to David and he is among David's camp. Eventually there would be 600 men among these. So we just want to look, we're going to look at, at a high level at this, this period of time in David's life. And we want to notice two things. We're going to call it watching and weariness. <clears throat> watching and weariness. As we look at the character of David and the things that happened during, their, during, this, during this time. Again, Saul's pursuit was relentless. 1 Samuel 23 and 14 says, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so there were, there were times that Saul was very close to capturing David, but God never allowed David to be taken. <clears throat> God was always faithful to David. He was always there protecting him from Saul. There's, a, there's an account that we read about in this chapter where there was a, 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 a village of Judah that was attacked by the Philistines and that David with these 400 men heard about it and they went down and they drove out the Philistines and they, they saved the city. And they thought... Since we have done this good deed for these people, we've rescued them from the hand of the Philistines, we've defeated them, we've driven them out, that they will allow us to take refuge in this place. But God, through the prophet Gad, tells David, no, these people will betray you. You cannot stay here. So David, looking for a place of rest, finds none here, and again he has to flee. And we see that he flees to the mountains, and certain, shortly after that, here comes Saul with 3,000 men who are searching for him. And they come so close that David and his men are hiding on one side of the mountain, and on the other side are Saul and his 3,000 men. And they're, they're, they're trying to stay away from them. They're trying to stay in hiding. They're at a point where they're almost going to be surrounded. It looks pretty dire. But all of a sudden, Saul received, receives word that the Philistines have attacked another Jewish city. And so he and his men are called away and they have to leave. And again, David escapes by the hand of God. <clears throat> and because of that, <clears throat> God tells him, you cannot stay here in the mountains anymore. And he goes to a more desert place and it's kind of an oasis place. And as he says, he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend to his needs. So David and his men, this is some time has passed. And again, they fled to a different part of the country. But Saul has learned because he's got spies everywhere. David cannot escape the hand of Saul because Saul has, has his people everywhere who are giving him word on the movement of David and his men. And so Saul knows the area that they're in. And in this particular area, it's very hot. And in the middle of the day, they, there, was a, there was a honeycomb of caves in the, in the mountains of that region. And so David and his men have gone into a cave. There's, a, there's between 400 and 600 of them. 
So this is not a small cave. But it's dark in there. And they are standing around the walls. They're, they're on the outer, outer edges of the cave as they're sitting in and they're escaping the heat of the day and they're hiding from Saul. And it says that Saul and his men are there and Saul comes into the cave and he, but he's, it's dark and he can't see he can't see David and his men. Imagine David's situation. His men see immediately the opportunity. And the men of David say to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, but I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. So his men are saying, God has told you that he's going to deliver Saul to you and you can do to him as you want. And this is that. Here's Saul who just walked right in the middle of us, can't see us. Strike him now. Put an end to this. Put an end to our running and our hiding. Claim your right as king of Israel. There's a couple of problems here. (laughs) First one is, there is no place recorded in Scripture that God ever told David that he was going to deliver Saul to him to do with as he would. That might have been what these people thought. I don't know if they just made it up or if they they really thought that was God's intention. But we find that that word had never come to David. That was certainly not something that David thought or was aware of. But certainly David could have taken his vengeance on Saul. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not become overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, there are times (laughs) that we as Christians may feel that we have been slighted by somebody else. We may have been attacked by someone else unfairly. The Scripture tells us that we never have a place for personal vengeance. When you look at David as a man after God's own heart, you will see that in him too, that he does not seek personal vengeance. It says, and so David arose and secretly cut off a corner of, of Saul's robe. As Saul went into the cave, it's probably it's likely that he set his robe aside while he was in there. And David drew his sword. David could have run Saul through if that was what he wanted to do. But that was not, he knew that was not God's purpose. That was not God's intention for him. And so what he does is he goes over to Saul's robe and he takes it and he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. Because he's going to demonstrate to Saul that I had you in my hands and I didn't take vengeance. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut off Saul's robe. But he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And David's heart 
God was king. God's will ruled. And he knew in his heart that it was not God's intention that he do this. He, he had great honor and respect. Even though Saul sought his life, he still saw him as God's anointed. And he would not lift his hand against him. But what does it say? It said that it troubled David that he had even done what he did. That he had cut off a part of his robe. And the lesson to us here as a person after God's own heart is be faithful in the small things. As well as the, if we're faithful in the small things, we will be faithful in the larger things. David's conscience bothered him to the fact that he had dishonored Saul in this very small way. Because David realized that the battle regarding our relationship with God and our battle with sin begins in the heart. It begins in the mind. If we allow ourselves to take the first small step in our minds, we are that much further to taking the next step. There was a part of David that no doubt would have liked to have taken Saul out right there. The Scripture tells us that the love of Christ constrains us. When faced with situations where our own will would have us go one way and do something that we know is contrary to what God would have us to do, that battle is in the mind. And David knew that that's where the battle would be fought. And David regretted that he had even taken that small step. In Psalms 51 and 6, David would write, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make known, make me to know wisdom. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That's where the battle is fought. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Jesus said, we def the defilement begins in the heart. It begins in our mind. That is where the battle is won. That's where the battle must be fought. You know, when David explained this to his men, because when they, David let Saul walk out of there, everybody else in that room, in that cave, was just going, what just happened? <laughs> you know they were like, why did you do, why did you let him walk out of here? Don't you realize that our lives are miserable because of that man? This was our chance to put an end to all this and you just let him walk out. And we heard David's words. I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed. Did that make sense to them? Maybe to a small degree, but a large degree it didn't. And you know it's the same for us as Christians. When we refuse to take the small thing to the small steps, when we refuse to lose the battle in our minds, to a lot of people that's going to seem trivial, but we understand that it is with great gravity. Ian in his prayer this morning said for the Lord to make us known the gravity of sin, that it's not just a mistake, that it's not just a small thing. There is great gravity there. David realized that. Ephesians chapter 4 and 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking 
be put away from you with all malice. What are those things? Those are destructive attitudes. If we allow those things to occupy our minds, to win the struggle in our mind, to control our mind, we will eventually carry out acts as a result of that. If we win the battle in the mind, our actions will not follow. We won't have to fight the battle of our own actions. So David restrained his servants with this, these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And David follows him out of the cave and he, he, he yells at him to get his attention. And he tells him what he's done. Verse 11 says, Moreover, my father speaks, this is David speaking to Saul, and he refers to him as, as my father. He had once lived in the house of Saul. He had been his son-in-law. He had been in his favor, and all of that had, had changed. But in David's heart, he still had honor and respect for Saul. He said, You see the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know that Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. David had never done anything to Saul to deserve the treatment and the hatred that Saul had for him. He said, yet you hunt for my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. David, a man after God's own heart. He never read Romans chapter 12, but he knew God's will, that vengeance is the Lord's. And David left it there. And Saul responded and said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him awake, get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you for, with good for what you have done this day. And now I know indeed, listen to the words of Saul. I know indeed that you surely shall be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. What God had told him, what Saul had rebelled against what had driven Saul to all of this destruction that he sought on David, he finally admits. Therefore, swear to me now by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. Saul said, I know, I know that you're better than me. I know that you deserve the kingdom, and you will be king. But when that happens, have mercy on my family. Don't. Take out your vengeance on those of my household. Don't wipe out my family, which was customary for when kings, when family of kings changed, that the old family was wiped out so they wouldn't rise up against the new. David makes a pact with Saul, and he said, I won't do it. He had already made that same pact with Jonathan. So everything's good, right? <laughs> David has spared Saul. Saul realizes it emotionally. He responds with repentance. But down deep, Saul's heart was not changed. And David knew it. 
Saul went home, and it says, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. They knew it wasn't over. They knew Saul wasn't going to change. In fact, two chapters later, we see this same incident almost repeated. It's not any time at all. And Saul's back after him, pursuing him. And his men are fleeing, and they're running. David and his men find out where the camp of Saul is. And David and one of his men go into the camp at night when all the men are asleep. And the scripture says that the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on them to allow David to do this. He went and he found Saul. And Saul's laying there by Abner, who is his commander-in-chief. And they're both asleep. And there is Saul's spear in the ground right beside him. And David pulls up his spear. He also takes some water there that, that's beside him, and he carries it out of the camp. And he goes up on a hill, and he yells out at them. And Saul awakens, and he says, Look, <laughs> I could have done it again. I've got your spear. i got your water. I was right there. I could have taken you out. Why don't you leave us alone? And again, Saul repents, and he says, You're right, David. You're right. Why don't you come back home with me? And David's going, no, no. You know, we see the purity in David's intentions. We see how he went through this adversity, and, and though he didn't understand why he, was going, why he was going through it, seven years. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever gone through a trial that you just thought this will never end? Paul did. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about that he had a thorn in his flesh and he went to God three times and asked him to remove it. And God said, my mercy is sufficient for you. I don't want to bear this burden anymore. I don't want to bear this cross anymore. God says, my mercy, my, my grace is sufficient. God's not going to always remove from us the challenges of life, but he will give us the strength to endure them. David was tired. David was haggard. David was frustrated. When will this end? Was his thought in his mind. How many times do you think David prayed to God to bring this to an end? To allow, to fulfill his promise, to bring him back to his family and allow him to live a normal life as normal as I guess it would be to be king. But to stop this pursuit, to end this. David sought to end it by his own means, and we see that in the things that he did to show to Saul, I'm not a threat to you. I'm not out to get you. Leave us alone. Let us live in peace. But again, he could see no end to it. How many times did David pray for God to end it. I don't know. But on the other hand, how many times did God allow Saul to capture David? None. <laughs> David knew that God was with him. But David became weary of the, of the trial that, that he was going through. And, and, you know, we can get to that same point too. There can become times that we can start justifying things in our mind because 
I'm having to go through this difficulty. You know, we saw it with Abraham. God promised him that he and Sarah were going to have a son. God, you know, 13, 14 years passed, they didn't have any kids. Abraham started thinking, maybe I need to help God along with this. Which resulted in a, in a son by a, a, a handmaid of Sarah's. But God said, no, that, that's not what I'm talking about, Abraham. I'm going to, I'll fulfill my promise. David fell into a similar situation. You know, the scripture tells us, Galatians 6 and 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. <clears throat> Trust God to bring you through those difficult times. Trust God to sustain you in the hardships and the trials that we face. Chapter 27, verse 1 says, And David said in his heart, Where's the battle fought? It's fought here. The Bible says the heart, it means here. It's in the mind. Don't grow weary. David is weary. David is tired. He's tired of fighting the current. Sometimes when you're tired of fighting the current, it's easy just to go with the flow, right? He said, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Was that true? Absolutely not. If, not, if he had learned nothing else from all of these trials, he should have figured it out that God was not going to let Saul take him. But David couldn't, David's, David had lost trust. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. So what had he done? He had, he had lost hope. And now he, where was he going? He was going to the enemies. He was going to the enemy camp. He said, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So shall I shall escape out of his hand. David thought, this is the one place that I can go that Saul won't continue to pursue me. I'm going to the enemies. I'm going to the Philistines. And David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. This is the same place he went before when he had to act like a crazy guy to get out of there. <sighs> Hebrews 3 and 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in, in, in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. I'm not saying that David completely gave up. The Scripture doesn't tell us at any length what David's intentions were except the, the, the first verse there. If I, continue, if I continue on, Saul's going to kill me. He was not directed by God to go to the land of the Philistines. It was on his own choice. <clears throat> and there were, there were going to be consequences because of that. And David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your eyes, let me take a Give, them, give me a place in a, some town in the country, and I will dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. David was in the city with the king, with the ruler of that area of the Philistines. And he said, there's no, there's no reason why I should dwell here in your royal city. Just give us a place that we can go, kind of one of the country towns, and we can live there. So he gave him a place to go. David wanted to do that because he had deceit in his mind. He was not completely given over. He wasn't completely on the Philistine side because he knew that there would be expectations of him. 
that he was going to have to go out and fight battles for the Philistines. And so he gave him a place. And so David and his men and, and their families, there's 600 men plus their families. There's probably, you know, well over 1,000 people in his camp that they've gone. And they're dwelling in this city. He wants to hide his actions from Achish. And so what David does is he takes his men and they go out and they attack some of the enemies of Israel that are in the, the surrounding areas, the Amalekites and, and uh, the Geshurites and the Gezrites, the Scripture says. So they go into these cities and they fall on them and they, they destroy them and they take the plunder, they take the spoil of their cities and they bring them back to the Philistines. And, and then the Philistine king asked David, where did you get this? And he said, we've been attacking these cities of Israel. <laughs> We've been going in and plundering the, 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 the cities of, of Israel to the south. Was that true? Absolutely not. He wasn't attacking his own people. He was attacking his people's enemies. There was still... So David was not completely given over. <clears throat> but the scripture says, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform one us, saying that David thus did David. So what did he say? He didn't leave anyone. When they went into these cities, they destroyed everybody. They didn't leave anybody alive to report of what they were actually doing. <clears throat> there would come a time that David would want to build the temple for God, and God would say no because you got blood on your hands, the blood of the innocent. This was a time in David's life that was a very dark period. During most of the time that David was in hiding from Saul he was writing psalms and there's many of those psalms that we can read and he describes the situation that they were in at that time <clears throat> there's a period of 16 months that they're in the land of the Philistines in that time there are no psalms that are written by David during that time there's no reference that God that David sought God's guidance or, or counsel and what he should do next it's almost like David has turned his back and given up <clears throat> Now it happened in those days, chapter 28 and verse 1, that now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that I will go out, you will go out with me in battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore will I make you one of my chief guardians forever. He had full confidence in David. But think about what's happening here. <clears throat> This is the same David who had walked out on the battlefield with Goliath and said, how dare you defy the armies of God? And now he's on the same side of the Philistines and he's about to go out and battle the armies of God himself. <clears throat> Would David have really carried that through? Would David have really fallen, followed through in going to battle against his own people? We will never know. <clears throat> we do know this in verse 8. As the armies are passing before Achish, the armies of the Philistines, they see among his men there are David and his men. And they are concerned about this. And they go to Achish and they say, Whoa, wait a minute, they're not going with us. How do we know they're not going to turn on us once we get into battle? And they persuade Achish to send David and his men back. And so they go to David and tell him this. And what does David say? So David said to Achish, but what have I done? 
And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I've been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? Who's he talking about? He's talking about his own people. David said, why won't you let me go with you? You've, I've proven myself to you now. I don't know what was in David's heart. David may have fully intended to turn on these people once they got to battle, but we will never know. It says, verse 11, so David and his men early, rose early to depart in the morning and returned to the land of the Philistines, and the, Phil, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So, by all accounts, David was fully prepared and willing to go to battle against his own people. But, but you might say God, provide, God provided him a way of escape. God did not allow this to happen. I believe it's by God's providence that he is sent back and not allowed to go. But there are consequences to face. <clears throat> now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked and was burned with fire and they had taken captive. They had taken captive. They had burned his city. They had taken all their wives and their children captive. The Amalekites had done this. And David and the people were... They lifted up their voices and wept, and they had no more power to weep, and David's two wives had been taken captive. The other thing that happened in this period of time, David's, he's, he's got two wives. But all of their families, all that they have has been taken captive by the Amalekites. And then something happens. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved, and every man for their sons and daughters. David, you brought us to this. You're the, you're the reason all this has happened. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. For the first time in the 16 months, we see David turning back to God. And he turns to God for guidance. And God, he inquires through Gad and he says, shall I pursue this troop? And God says, pursue for you're going to overtake him. You're going to recover all. And they did. And I'm going to shorten this because of time. <clears throat> Shortly after these events, in fact, as the Philistines go to battle against Israel, Israel is defeated. Their armies are defeated. In fact, Saul himself and his sons, including Jonathan, are killed in that battle. David recovers all. They return to his people. Eventually, he returns to Judah, and the Scripture tell us that the men of Judah came and they anointed David king over Judah. Seven years he had gone through these trials. God was faithful to his promise. It would be seven more years before he's made king over all of Israel, but we'll talk about that at the next time. But we can understand David's rejoicing as he looks back in God's faithfulness. Though he had to be ch chastened himself, though he had to go through many hardships and difficulties, God was good to fulfill his promise. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. We haven't talked about first principles this morning. I hope there's been something in the study that has been encouraging to you as it has to me. If we can assist you this morning by prayer or with any other thing, we would invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.